I'm a little sad that we're no longer in Hebrews, because then I could just preach the same sermon again. I did prepare every week, I promise, as did Pastor Kelly and as did Peter, Peter last week. But here we are. Uh, so if you notice in your worship folders today, there are two inserts, one about the Christian year and one about Advent. And that's because this is the last Sunday of the Christian year. This is our New Year's Eve. This discipline of submitting ourselves to a calendar that is not of this world is one of the ways that we have sought to be shaped by God over this last year and one of the ways that we are going to continue to seek to be shaped by God, to be counter-cultural. And so here we are getting ready for Advent, getting ready to enter a season where we purposefully remember that we are waiting. But we are waiting all the time, and so that has been this undercurrent of every Sunday that we have celebrated. We have remembered all kinds of situations where we are waited. We have waited. But what if we took something that we do with our cultural New Year's Eve, with the regular calendar idea, and think about what we hear today as the scripture that can guide us in resolving some things? in making some resolutions about our life, making some plans for what we will do over this next year, of allowing this text that we hear this morning to give us focus for the days ahead, that reminder of a new start, of a, of a, of a new plan of action, that change is possible. If we were to listen to the text that we were about to hear that way, we would be hearing words that would help us to understand what it is that we ought to believe, what it is we ought to do, and what it is we hope for. And in essence, this is very similar to what the first people who heard this vision of John that is called Revelation, this revelation of who God is and what God is about that was given to John, that he was then to give to the churches, is a text that is helping them to understand what it is they believe, what it is they are to do, and what it is that they hope for. Now, their context is a little different than our context because they were people who were suffering severe persecution by the Roman Empire because they had come to believe some things about Jesus Christ that is a threat to power in this world. And so facing persecution and facing all other kinds of hardship and facing, like the Hebrew church, this tiredness that comes from living differently than the world around you and the danger that that poses and the temptation that that poses to change your core values, to change your focus, to change what you do, uh, to, to hide what you believe and to lose hope. This revelation is given to them to reorient, to refocus, to plant them on the firm foundation of Christ and his work. So hear these words from Revelation chapter 1, just verse, the first three verses to help us understand what we're being invited to. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So blessed is the one who speaks these words of prophecy, and blessed is the one who keeps it. Because prophecy in the biblical sense is not about fortune-telling about the future. Prophecy is always the invitation of God to get involved in a way that changes what is and what will be. Prophecy is always an invitation of God. And so blessed is the one who takes God's invitation to believe, do, and hope. Will you pray with me? So God, as we hear this message, these opening words of this revelation that you gave to John, may we believe its words, may we do what it says, and may we place our hope firmly in you. Holy Spirit, this is your time to speak. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. So if we think about this as the revelation that helps us to set some new resolutions or resolve to live in a specific kind of way, we can also take comfort from knowing some things. The first thing that we can take comfort in knowing is that the book begins with the words of Christ that it also ends with. When Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, I guess I should read the text, huh? I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, sorry. Let's turn back to scripture. Verse 4. You guys don't know what I'm talking about because we haven't read it. Okay, I got too excited. So John is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. John is writing to you and to I. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's try that again. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega here at the beginning of the Revelation. And that's exactly what he says at the end of the Revelation. And then he says, surely I am coming soon. And so these words of comfort, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the Alpha and the Omega, in the Greek alphabet, the A to Z or Z is what is being described here. 
the first letter and the last letter. And it's meant to remind us that everything in between also is captured and, and caught up in who he is. That everything he holds together in Jesus Christ is the first word of this picture that will have some very scary pieces in it. And the last word in this picture. And I remember uh, a little while ago, last year, I was in this book club, and we were reading the screw tape letters, and our facilitator for this book club said, okay, I want you to read the last chapter of this book at the beginning, because I want you to have in your mind the victory of Jesus. I want you to have in your mind the good news that the devil does not win while you read all of the devil's attempts to sway the person that this book is about. So if you know the screw tape letters, it's about uh, a, a demon and a uh, uh, like a higher-up demon writing letters to each other as they do the evil one's work in one man's life. And it doesn't work. And so the facilitator said, have the image of the victory in your head. So that as you read about the work and the scariness and the hard times that this man faces, you will remember the truth that the victory has been won. And this is what the revelation that God gives to John does for us. It gives us this reminder that in Christ all things hold together. This is the first thing that we have to believe in order to be able to live fully and abundantly in his kingdom. That in Christ, all things hold together so that as we face the scary things, as we face the hard things, we remember this picture that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And that we remember this picture that God our Father, Yahweh, is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And in the Greek here, it's actually a participle, which means that it could be who is coming. Not just to come, like not just one more time that he's coming, but that God is continuously coming to his people to be at work in this world that this continuous act of God coming to save and to speak to and to comfort and to chastise and to guide and to discipline and to rebuke and to shower love and gifts of grace and peace and mercy and power is the continuous work of our God who comes because it is the seven spirits, the text says, that are before the throne. The Holy Spirit, God, who hears the will of the Godhead and goes to the world, continuously coming among us with these gifts of God. And from Jesus Christ, grace and peace is this word that is given to us through this work of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who delivers the prophetic message of invitation. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, who, because of who he is, has established some things that are different than what this world would have. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, and in him all things hold together. 
He is the faithful witness. What we have been hearing in Hebrews over and over, that this once for all work that Jesus did as our priest was the faithful witness to God our Father of our humanity. And he is the faithful witness to us of God and God's will the faithful witness of God's love for us, the faithful witness of God's purposes for our humanity, the faithful witness of the will of God. All of these things are true in Jesus Christ. And then the text says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, that Jesus is this beginning of a new world order in his death and resurrection. That we no longer live in the old powers or under their thumbs, but now believe ourselves to be empowered in the new creation that is Jesus Christ. Because though resurrection had happened before by the power of God, in Jesus Christ that final victory over death is won. That final work of telling death that it would not be the final word in this world and that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ all things can be made new. So we live with our eyes looking for and believing in the new creation of our God the new creation that we know will find its fulfillment when Christ comes again for that final time. The end of all of the coming will find its culmination in Jesus' return. And then a new heaven and new earth is ushered in. And then the text says that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this is where the problem lies. For the churches that Jesus is, this revelation is being given to. Because the Roman Empire would let you believe in any God that you wanted to believe in as long as you did not question or try to say that your God was greater than the God who was represented in Caesar. And so John, by God's guidance, is giving the church gathered under the power of this man and this regime and this empire that was so much bigger than them. This picture of Jesus as the one who rules even his enemies here on earth. That Christ is Lord, that first, first statement of faith of the church is the thing that got them into the most precarious of situations with the world around them. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, it should be the thing that gets us into precarious situations with the world around us. Because if Christ is Lord and Lord of my life, then my life should look different than those who do not proclaim Jesus as Lord. My motivations should be different. The things I care about should be different. What I consume should be different. How I spend my time should be different. In other words, like the early church, it should be noticeable 
that Christ is our ruler. And that's what transitions us into this picture that we are given of what we are to do based on what we believe about the Godhead. We are to give glory and honor to Jesus. Understanding how, what we have just spent the last number of weeks hearing, he has freed us because of his love for us by his blood through that once-for-all sacrifice. And he has freed us and given us identity in the kingdom of God, made us to be a kingdom whose citizenship does not belong solely to this earth, but belongs to the new creation that we look for and look forward to. This is what Peter talked about last week when he talked about this idea of living into the perfection that God has for us. To live with the integrity of our design by our creator. That is what it means to live in the kingdom of God and to seek to live further in to the kingdom of God. And alongside of that, we hear this image that we are made to be priests. Priests serving his God and Father for his glory and his power, his dominion over the earth. Priests who no longer sacrifice other things, but who give ourselves, as Paul says in Romans, as living sacrifices, who give, a, who give our lives over to service in the kingdom of God. Who understand the reconciling work of Jesus because of his great love, as the defining nature of what it means to follow after and know the will of God, to be agents of his reconciliation. To live as though all of our lives flows out of the work that Christ Jesus has done for us, out of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us, and out of God our Father's design and will for us. To do all of these things is to give glory to our Maker. And then there is this picture of hope. Look, Jesus is coming on the clouds, this image that was so well known to the people about God's return. Every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. So even God's enemies, even you and I, for we are the ones who pierced him. We will all see, we will all know. We will all see, we will all know of his return. And what will it cause? Wailing. Mourning. 
The traditional uh, understanding of that text is in part uh, tied to the judgment of God. That people will weep and mourn and wail because the judgment of God is coming. But what if we were to look back on other scriptural pictures of when weeping and mourning and wailing happen? In the Old Testament in particular, we see that it's also this act and this step in the process of repentance. Remember those six weeks we spent in Lamentations? And how much weeping and mourning and wailing there was? And it was part of their journey of repentance, of their realization that all that was and had been did not have to be. That all of the awfulness that they had experienced and brought upon themselves did not have to be. That all of the suffering did not have to be. That all of that pain that they get caused on themselves and on others did not have to be. That there truly actually was an abundant life in the here and now that they could have had if they had listened to the prophetic word of God. And so what if we understand in this weeping and this wailing and this mourning that it's not just about the judgment of God, but it's like the Roman centurion who saw Jesus on the cross and said, surely this man was the son of God. That at Christ's return, there is no longer any room or space for people to deny this truth. To reject this truth. To live as though this truth was not real. But that at Christ's return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So it is to be the text says. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. So if we believe